So we're in 1 John chapter 3. 1 John chapter 3, last week, uh, Pastor Mike, or was it Alex? I can't even remember last week. My, Pastor Mike um, brought a really great message on uh, just the idea that really we've been called into the family of God um, and we are to abide in him. There was a big word abide last week. And that's really just to, to in, in a practical way, spend time with the Lord to abide in him, to, to fellowship with him. And so now, as we continue in this letter from John, we're going to continue in chapter 3. Chapter 3, verse 1. A reading from the ESV uh, this evening. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that uh, when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. Verse 3. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he, that is Jesus or Christ or God, is pure. Verse 4. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning. This is where John starts to dig the knife in a little bit, and it kind of hurts. Let's read it together. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared in order to take away sin, and in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him. And he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. By this, it is evident. Notice that. It is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. I don't know why I always get these sections. Man, it is heavy. This is a heavy passage. I called the message tonight, The Pursuit of Holiness. Funny enough, this theme has been popping up in my life a lot lately, just through different people I have relationships with, it's become the topic of conversation over meals and coffee and the like, and it's just become a reoccurring thing that I keep finding myself discussing with uh, people who are in the faith, and I keep finding that I'm pushed by people who I love and appreciate in my life that really we're, we're supposed to be pursuing holiness, and as I read this passage, I just couldn't get around this idea just so prevalent in this text. We are to pursue holiness. The U.S. Secret Service has a long and storied history of safeguarding America's financial and payment systems from criminal exploitation. The agency was created in 1865 to combat the rise of counterfeit currency following the Civil War. Now, these agents who specialize in the Secret Service in discovering counterfeit bills and counterfeit money, and nowadays it's counterfeit digital transactions and wires and all those things. You know, it's all electronic. These experts become experts in identifying counterfeit bills, not through studying the fake bills, but through knowing the ins and outs of the real ones. In the same way, you and I will be able to decipher and identify counterfeit Christians when we know what a real one looks like. And that's That's a high calling on all of us in this room tonight who say, I'm a Christian. Does your life exemplify it? Now, I have to say, too, some of us fall into the the horrible trap of feeling like we can never be good enough. And that's not the gospel either. For it's by grace that you have been saved, not of man's works, so that no one can boast. So you can't earn it and you don't deserve it, but there is a call for you to pursue holiness. You have to pursue it. This is ahead of my notes, but I'll just say it. I, I have 
seen this coming up. So I follow this um, Christian clothing company. Sometimes Nick and I wear their stuff or Kim on stage. It says like worship and it's missing like a letter. Uh, and you know, they have all these cool uh, designs. And it's a Christian company, it's a small business and they're called Art of Homage. And um, he often just posts devotionals and little one-liners to just kind of encourage you on social media. And uh, a few weeks back, he posted um, something, and I, I've been telling you this keeps coming up. And so I opened up Instagram, and he, his post said, today, choose to pursue holiness. And the top comment was um, somebody who, well-meaning, and I never get involved in social media debates. I think they're completely fruitless. Uh, but this was one where, like, as a pastor, I felt an obligation to, in love, clarify something. The, the comment uh, in response to the post, today let's pursue holiness, was something like this. Well, if Jesus is holy and Jesus lives in us and he is holy, aren't we therefore holy? That sounds pretty good. And, and to a certain extent, it's correct. But in 1 Peter, we're told that we are actually to pursue holiness, because I don't know about you, but the day I got saved and trusted in Jesus Christ, my life did not become perfect and I stopped sinning. So I just responded and I, my wife, we were in the car and uh, she was driving. I wasn't, you know, Instagramming while driving. And I was like, I don't know, should I respond? And she was like, I don't know, you know, and she was like, how are you going to say it? And I was like, I don't know. Uh, you viper, you brood of, no, I didn't, I, no, I, all I said was like, hey, you know, whatever her Instagram handle was, they said, hey, I totally get what you're saying, um, and to a certain extent, I think you're right, but here's a verse in First Peter, and uh, she never responded, but I would hope that she read it, and maybe she thought about it, and maybe it's better if she didn't respond, because I don't want to get into a big debate on somebody's comment section on social media, but if we see Christians who are living under false understanding of scripture or have been misled, we do have a responsibility to speak up and to speak out. And so, as professing Christians, our life, there's going to be characteristics and qualities that you and I are growing in as we pursue Jesus. And if righteousness and purity and um, compassion and love and the fruits of the Spirit are not part of your life and they're not evident in your life at all, then tonight is a night to take a deeper look at your heart and to ask where you are in your relationship with Jesus Christ. So verses one and two, let's read it again. He says, see what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that they did not know him or they do not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. If you have called on the name of Jesus Christ tonight, if you've repented of your sin, you are a Christian. The gospel is not rocket science, and I'm so thankful for that because I'm not a scientist, and I'm not that smart. I'm thankful that the gospel message at its core is rather simple. A verse that you and I know very well, and the reason it's popular is because it is really a perfect summation of the gospel, is that forever would believe in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. And a beautiful verse that follows it is that he did not come into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through him. And so if we believe that, then the gospel message at its core is simple. We're dead in our sin, and we can be made alive by professing Jesus Christ and repenting of our sin. And now we are called to pursue a life of holiness. You are a child of God. And if you are a child of God, you're going to have familial traits that should be passed down, if you will. You know, I have things that I've gotten as characteristics from my mom and my dad. Um, I got my height from my mom. And I got my... <laughs> sorry, Dad. And I got my blonde hair and blue eyes from my mom. Nowadays, I'm a little more worried about that one. Um, but we won't go there. Um, but I got my extroverted personality from my dad and my musical abilities, actually both parents. But there are, there are traits that we inherit from our earthly parents. And in the same way, when you are regenerated, that is to be reborn, there are there are spiritual characteristics that should become a part of your life because you inherit them from your heavenly Father. Jesus was compassionate, therefore you should be compassionate. Jesus was forgiving, therefore you should be forgiving. Jesus was quick to defend those who were suffering, we should do the same. The list goes on of things that Jesus exemplified and that are characteristics of our God 
And one of those things, he is holy. He is the epitome, the perfection of holiness. And so if we are to be like Christ and we are pursuing him, one of those things is holiness. And he is the perfect example of what holiness looks like, completely set apart. There is no sin in him, as the text that we just read says. So there's this beautiful promise in verse 2. Uh, well, let's look at verse 1 for just a second. I, I don't want to miss this. The reason why the world does not know us is that what? What does it say? They don't know him. How many of you have had a heated discussion with a family member because of your faith in the last two months? Right? Some hands. How about a friend or just a, a, a coworker? you know? The room is probably full, yeah? Show, show me, show me. Right? So there's conflict, and the root of it is what? Your faith. Greg Laurie, I've heard him say, you know, you know, what's like one of the worst things when you go to the movie theaters, and I've said this before, and, you know, this little light on our phone, right, it's not that bad, like, in the context of all these bright stage lights and lights in this room, but that little phone light is so annoying in the midst of the darkness at the movie theater, isn't it? You're like, do you have to text right now? Like, can't you text later? And see, that's kind of how you are in a dark world. You're not that bright of a light because you're not that great. (laughs) But in the darkness, you're kind of annoying. I'm not that great either, so don't be offended, okay? That's why we need Jesus, guys. And so it's kind of like that. There's this little light, and when it's outside and there's other bright things around it, it's not even really noticeable. You don't even think twice about it. But when you're in a dark environment, you're kind of like that to non-believers. You're kind of annoying sometimes. And it's not you. It's Christ in you. And Jesus himself said, they hated me, they will hate you also. Is that the verse that you put on your refrigerator and stare at every morning? No. But that was a promise. Jesus was speaking rather emphatically and saying, they hated me, they will hate you. So the reason why the world does not know us is that they do not know him. Verse two, he says, we are children of God now. And what uh, will be has not yet appeared. And this is speaking of the second coming of Christ. That a day will come when all things will be made new. We know this passage well. Look at this with me if you can. Uh, uh, we'll put it on the screen. Revelation 21. Revelation 21. I'll give them a second because I know how it is back there sometimes. You gotta scroll through these menus. We know this verse well. Revelation 21 verse four. It says this. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there will, be no longer, there will no longer be any death. There will no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. The first things have passed away. And he who sits on the throne said, Behold, what? I am making all things new. And he said, Write, uh, write this down, for these things are faithful and true. I'm so thankful that that day is coming. That he will make all things new. And that the battles and the struggles of this life will be a thing of the past. And they'll pale in comparison to the glory that awaits us. And really, if there was nothing but to be in Jesus' presence, because that is what heaven really is, it would be more than we could ever ask for or imagine. And then on top of that, there's all this scripture that tells us that God actually sets aside blessings for us and, 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 and is preparing a place for us. But even if he wasn't doing those things, it would be more than we deserve just to be in his presence. And that's really what heaven is. Christ is really what we are pursuing to be able to be with him for eternity. If you look back at John, uh, 1 John chapter 2, 1 through 6, he says this, using the same language, this idea is reiterated again. What does he say? My little children. I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. Now, find comfort in this as John is kind of punching us in the gut tonight in chapter three. Let's not forget his words in chapter two. What does he say? But if anyone does sin, and we will, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sin. And not for our sin only, but for what? The sins of the whole world. And by this, we know that we have come to know him. 
What is the mark? If we know Jesus, what does it say will be the mark on our life? We will keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is what? A liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him, truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way which he walked. I just spoke on that a moment ago. We are to walk in the same way that Jesus walked. Now that's a big calling. And I do not do that perfectly. Far from it. But I am so thankful, as John tells us in chapter 2, you can turn back to chapter 3, that we have an advocate with the Father, that's Jesus. There's this crazy, amazing picture in Scripture that says that Jesus sits at the right hand of the Father and he intercedes for us. So when I make a mistake, when I fall short, we kind of see a glimpse of this heavenly you know, perspective in Job as we went through on Wednesday nights. Who, who had to come and ask permission for for Job, Satan had to come and ask because Satan answers to God. He's not greater than God. He pales in comparison to who God is. And so we have an advocate with the Father, that is Jesus Christ, and he sits at the right hand of the Father and he intercedes for us. The simple way to think about it is that when you make a mistake and the devil comes for you, you could simply think that Jesus says, I paid for that. I already paid for that. We've been saved by a love so contrary to the love of the world. A love that really is from a God who took our place even while we were his enemies. Verse 3 of 1 John 3. And I want to just reiterate something here too. Just touch on something. There's kind of some themes that we see in these first three verses. In the first verse, we see this idea that God's love is an adopting love. We've been adopted into the family as children of God. The second thing is in verse 2. God's love transforms us. It changes us. And now in verse 3, we will see that God's love purifies us. He says in verse 3, And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. Everyone who walks, uh, excuse me, everyone who makes a practice. Please don't miss that. A practice. This is a habit. A a, practice. It's a religious thing. It's something that happens all the time in your life. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. The Greek word for lawlessness here is anomia. Anomia. And it is defined properly the condition of one without law, either because of ignorance or because of violating it. It's to be without law, lawlessness. Uh, another way that it could be defined uh, through the Greek is it's contempt for the law. It's iniquity, wickedness, uh, it's violation of the law. It's not what your life should look like as a Christian. It's, it's the opposite. And this word is used 15 times in our New Testament. And here's one occasion where it's used that really stuck out to me. This is Matthew 7. Uh, I'm just going to read this section real quick for you. Matthew 7, 15 through 23. Jesus speaking here, and he says, Beware of false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. By their fruit you will recognize them. Here again is the scripture reiterating that we will know who Christians are by the fruit of their life. By the fruit you will recognize them uh, are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles. Verse 17 of Matthew 7 says, likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Are you still with me here? A lot of bears and bads. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. And that is not just necessarily an analogy. That is of things to come. And so then by their fruit, you will recognize them. Notice that 20 says of Matthew 7, chapter, uh, verse 20 says, You will recognize them by the fruit of their life. 
Verse 21, not everybody who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does, not, does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And in your name, did we not drive out demons and perform miracles? This is one of the most sobering verses in all of the Bible. Matthew seven twenty three says, then I will say to them plainly, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of what? Lawlessness. That's, that's a scary verse. I don't want to have anything to do with lawlessness in my life. I want to be somebody that desires to keep God's commandments. Will I do it perfectly? No, and that's why I have an advocate with the Father, as John tells us in chapter 2. There's an undeniable call and command on the, on the life of every person who calls themselves a Christian to do away with the old man, the old life. We're having baptisms this Sunday. What is the symbolization that's happening in the midst of baptism? It's that the old man is going down and being washed away. It is to die, and the new man is being raised up. That's why we baptize people. That's why Jesus called for baptism. It is, to, it is to show publicly, to declare that the old man is dead. And you are asking, hear this, church, when you are baptized in front of the church, you are now asking the church in a sense to say, okay, the old man is dead, so keep him in check. And that's what the body of Christ is supposed to be doing. That's why we don't get baptized in private. We do it publicly because we are professing to the church body, I am a Christian, hold me to that standard. So... Live by it, and it's a high calling. Now, Gnosticism is a huge uh, issue in the time that this letter is being written. And so the Gnostics taught that basically what you did with your body was kind of irrelevant. It was more of a spiritual thing. If you were right in your spirit, then the body was kind of whatever you wanted to do with the body, it was fine. Some Gnostics would even go as far as to teach that it was actually natural for your body to sin and you should embrace it. And these are teachings that were happening and were around the Christian church. And so John is saying, no, 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 no. Your life will be marked by holiness and you are to be set apart and what you do with your body most certainly does matter. And this is so abundantly clear in scripture. And this is why we are called uh, to wait until marriage for sex. We're called to uh, not get drunk with wine. We're called to not defile ourselves by what comes out of our mouth. It's very evident in Scripture that we are called to be a people that look different than the world, and what we do with our body most certainly does matter. And so what the Gnostics were teaching was causing confusion in the early Christian church, and clarification was needed at times, and John is making it clear, no, no, what you do with your body matters. Live a life of holiness. And if you look at Matthew 7.20 again, we just can't overlook this tonight. Their fruit will be how you recognize them. Not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. And this is, this is something that is so important. We should desire not to sin, not out of fear of who God is, we have reverence for God, and he is a holy, mighty God. He is powerful, and we should have reverence for him. But my desire to not sin and to live a life of holiness should be rooted in my love for my heavenly Father. It should not be because I am afraid of my Father in heaven. It should be because I love him that I desire to live a life of holiness. And so, some of you maybe have been living your Christian life and you have the wrong outlook altogether. Every time you fall short in an area or you sin, you find yourself hitting your head on the same wall over and over again and thinking, how could I do this again? And you are overcome with guilt and shame and condemnation. And Jesus is saying, I have already paid for that sin. But I would, I would argue with you that if you love Jesus, you will keep his commandments. And that is found in scripture. If you love me, keep my commandments. But John says, when you sin, you have an advocate with the Father. It comes full circle. So yes, we will sin, but we have an advocate with the Father when we fall short. But the life that we now live, we desire to live in a way that pleases God and honors him because we love him. Just in the same way, uh, some of you, your relationships with your earthly parents maybe has not been good, but for those of you that have a good relationship with your parents, I would hope that you desired as a child to honor them 
and respect them, not because you were afraid of them, because, but because you truly respected them and cared for them. And the same thing is said of our relationship with our Heavenly Father, that I want to live a life of obedience to Christ because I love Jesus, and I want to honor him in my conduct. Wearsby puts it this way, an unbeliever that sins is a creature sinning against its creator. A believer who sins is a child who sins against his father. We should not want to obey Jesus out of obligation. It should be because we love him and we're called to keep his commandments. And there are Christians who have lived in this constant unending cycle And maybe it's you tonight. You've lived in this unending cycle of guilt and shame. And you make a mistake and then you fall back into that trap of condemnation and the enemy is in your ear and your own mind is running wild and you feel guilty and ashamed and you you step away from church for a while or you step away from your Christian friends and you find yourself isolated and you're now an island trying to navigate the struggles of this life alone. And that's not the gospel. Jesus says, come to me all who are burdened. And I will give you rest. If you would repent of your sin and call out for forgiveness, he is faithful and just to forgive you. So it's not about not sinning as much as it's about not making a habit of sin. Okay, and so we're gonna fall short. So if you're somebody that's struggling tonight with this this whole passage because you just feel like you keep messing up, join the club. You're in a good place. You're in good company. Because I sinned today. Getting stuck in traffic on the way home from Covina and thinking, oh my gosh, why are you not driving? Right? There was a girl in front of me and she was on her phone and the gap between her and the traffic moving forward was just getting increasingly larger. And I was like, beep, 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 beep. You know, you're like, you're like leveling up on your honks, like, pay attention. You know, running out of patience. That's not sin. sin. Oh boy. Verse five, chapter three. Let's keep moving. Verse five. Oh, wouldn't you love it if it wasn't? You know that he appeared in order to take away sin. And in him there is no sin. We know this because the Bible is full of this idea. God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. The darkness cannot dwell amongst the light. When you turn on a light switch in your house, is there a battle between the light and the dark? Maybe you have a bad light bulb. It might be the case, but no. You flip on the light, the light immediately overcomes the darkness. And that is a physical manifestation, really, of how things work in the spiritual realm. Jesus is light. There's no competition. Jesus comes, everything changes. There's no competition. Now, in this life, we battle with our flesh, and we wrestle. But I'm reminded of the scripture that says that we don't battle against flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities and the things that we can't see, but we know they're there. And so he says that he has no sin. Verse 6, no one who abides in him keeps on sinning. This is, this is a, a, like I said, a habitual type of sin, a practice of sin, a habit of sin. Because no you could read this, guys, tonight and say, wow, am I a Christian, okay? <laughs> so let's get that clear. If you've called on Jesus and you've trusted him and you've repented of your sin, you are saved. John is talking about a habitual practice of sin, and he'll clarify this in verse 8 in a second. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Verse 7, little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous, as he is righteous. And here is what I'm uh, getting at. Verse 8, whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to what? Destroy the works of the devil. Verse 9, no one born of God makes a practice of sinning. For God's seed abides in him. He cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. He's been regenerated. If you've been born of Jesus Christ, then you can't make a practice of sin anymore because the old man is dead. Look, some of you in this room can think of a lot of different times in your Christian life as you've been growing and being sanctified where you made a practice of sin to a certain extent. 
If you have not repented of those things, I call you now to repent. Now is the time to repent of those things. But you have an advocate with the Father, and those sins have been covered and paid for by the blood of Jesus Christ. We are not to live in habitual sin to make a practice of sin anymore. Turn to Ephesians for a moment. Ephesians, to your left. Ephesians chapter 2. Right at the beginning of chapter 2, verse 1, Ephesians 2, 1. And we'll have it on the screen for you if you need it. And I'm going to point out some specific language in this uh, letter from Paul to the church in Ephesus. Ephesians 2, 1, he says this. And you were dead in your offenses and sins, in which you previously walked according to the course of the world, according to the prince of the power of the air, that is Satan of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience, that would be non-believers. Okay, and among them, we too all previously lived in the lusts of our flesh. What does it say? We previously lived. We don't live in it now. We previously lived in it, indulging in the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath just as the rest. This is, I've heard it said, one of the greatest buts in the Bible. Some comedic relief for you, maybe? Maybe not. No one laughed. Okay. But God, and this is such a beautiful verse, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our sin, in our wrongdoing, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the ages to come he might show the boundless riches of his grace and kindness towards us in in this excuse me, in Christ Jesus. And verse eight, many of us will know this by heart. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Praise Jesus. Praise God. So Paul is saying in Ephesians, you can turn back to 1 John, unless you'd like to stay with me in this text for a moment. That's fine too. Paul is saying, you were dead in your sin. You were, but if you've been reborn, you're not dead anymore. You're alive. We sang a song on Sunday that says, your love awakens me. And uh, I had somebody, one of the first times we played that said, that song is really repetitive. And uh, the other day, (laughs) this is just a total random side note. I was looking at some old hymns. You want to talk about repetition? (laughs) I was like, wow. All right, we're doing okay with the repetition here. But that song is such a simple and profound idea. His love has awakened us. I don't know how you say that in the past tense. Awoken us. I don't know. Sounds like a Star Wars character. Awoka. Okay? But his love has made us alive. We were dead in our sin and our trespasses. But because of Jesus, we've been made alive. So you previously walked according to your flesh. But now you are ruled by a new leader, and it's Jesus. He has crushed sin and death. That means that you don't have to be obedient or be a slave to sin anymore. We sing about chains being broken, and we read about it, and we say we believe it, but then when sin comes, he has promised that he will provide a way of escape. He's promised it. How many of you have kids, and you've watched Finding Nemo 1,000 times, right? Escape. That's a good movie. He will always, that's the, so that's when I knew I was a Christian. I was watching Finding Nemo and uh, Dory read Escape wrong and I was like, he will always provide a way of escape. You know, that's, uh, that's how I was like, okay, yeah, I'm on the right track. I'm watching Finding Nemo and I'm thinking about scripture. Okay? But he will provide a way of escape. You don't have to be bound by sin anymore. You're not. And I, I've, I've heard it said that we don't, we, sometimes we say like, oh, I really stumbled. No, you didn't. You dove in head first. And, and I think that there are times where things are thrown in our, you know, maybe it for, for, the, uh, for some of us, it's like we're online and something pops up and you're like, well, that, that, I literally, that just stumbled upon me. I was not seeking for that. And then you have a choice. You have a choice as to what you will do next. Do you move along, block, close the app, Whatever it may be, or do you indulge the flesh? 
For some of you, it will be a young girl in front of you on the freeway texting, and you will have an opportunity to make a decision. He's provided a way of escape, and sometimes it's just, Jesus, I'm not going to honk at this girl, you know? Start singing in your car. You turn up the worship music a little more. He will always provide a way, but sometimes we dive in head first. Make no provisions for the flesh. Um, It's been said many times. If you went to the doctor and he said, you know, Rocky Road ice cream, Pastor Michael has said this, is killing you. And you go to Stater Brothers and you buy some nice, you know, Briars, Rocky Road ice cream, and you put it in the freezer. And every time you walk by the freezer, you're like, oh, Jesus, help me. You know, I can. I'll have some. And then you go back to the doctor three weeks later, and he's like, you clearly have not stopped eating Rocky Road ice cream. You say, well, I tried, doc. And he's like, well, how are you getting it? Well, I bought some. Hmm. Starting to see the problem here. Oftentimes when we sin, you guys, I would say every time we sin, we choose to sin against our Heavenly Father, and that's sobering. That's a sad reality. In the light of Christ's love and everything that he's done for us, why do we still choose to obey the things of the world and to follow what the flesh wants? I had a professor in college, and we were talking about this idea, and he, <laughs> he, he was like, you know, he, okay, this guy had the weirdest accent I've ever heard. He's one of the nicest people I've ever met. He was born in Australia, but then lived in England for a lot of his adult life. So he had like a mesh of an Australian and an English accent. So I won't even try. But he was like, when, my, when temptation is coming, I just say, shut up, shut up, no. And you know, he's kind of a, he spit a lot. And he's like this crazy guy and super passionate. And I was like, that's, that's actually a pretty reasonable approach, I think. So sometimes when I'm faced with temptation, I just say, shut up. And honestly, sin, you don't have any, you have no bearing on me anymore. I'm a new creation. And when we fall short, I'll keep saying it tonight, we have an advocate with the Father. Thank you, Lord. Your sin is in your past. The old man is dead. I wish that I could say I could live a life completely free of sin, but I can't. Not in this life, but a day is coming when all things will be made new. We've been talking about this idea of pursuing holiness. I'll take you to one last passage in 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1, this is actually the verse that I put in that social media conversation. 1 Peter 1, 14 says this. As obedient children, there's this idea of children again, we've been adopted into the family of God. What does he say? Do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. That's a nice way of putting it. (laughs) But as he who called you is holy, that is Jesus is holy, God is holy, you also be holy in your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. And this, this, we don't like this verse. It'd be really nice if like we became a Christian and we were just like, all right, I'm good. That would be awesome. It's not how it works. Let me ask you, how many of you have started a diet and then not finished it? Not seen it through to the end, not gotten to your goal weight, not lost that body fat percentage that you wanted? Yeah, me too. Huh? Because I come into this stinking place and somebody else is having a dang birthday and they made 12 chocolate cakes and Del Taco Fiesta packs are on the table, and you're like, I brought a salad with vinaigrette. I'm going to pass on this green burrito and chocolate homemade cake for a salad. I was in New York one time with a band, and we were on tour there playing at some churches and stuff, and I went to a pizza place with my friend Jason, and I haven't talked to Jason in so long. I miss that guy, and he's a good bass player, and I was playing drums in this band, and um, we, <laughs> we were in this pizza place in New York, and uh, New York's like a different place, man. Like, it's, it's like another world there. Like, like Californians are nice, but it's because they have to be, you know? They're like, hi, how are you doing? They don't care how you're doing, you know? Because uh, it's like, 
New York, there's no like customer service training at restaurants. You know, they show up, but what do you want? Get out of my line if you don't know what you want. And so we're in this pizza place. It's like this little hole in the wall place. We read reviews online and said it was super good. So we go in there and we get this pizza, it's super good. And we're sitting at a table and Jason's like, oh man, I want some ranch. And I was like, no, dude, no. It's like, we, they don't do that here, okay? Like, and he was like, what are you talking about, dude? So I, I'm, like, I'm like at the table like, oh no, this is gonna be bad. And I hear him go up and go, hey man, can I get some ranch? He goes, ranch? Would you get a salad? <laughs> and Jason was like, well, no. He's like, would you come put ranch on my pizza? Get out of here. <laughs> Just like, no. They had ranch, but he wouldn't give it to him. It's New York. We went to a Philly cheesesteak place in downtown Philly, and the guy, uh, I, I don't know if it was Jason again, man. That guy was messing up. He didn't know what he wanted. We're at the front of the line. He's like, if you don't know what you want, get out of line. Next. You know? That has nothing to do with what we're talking about tonight. <laughs> Our last verse tonight, 1 John 3.10 says this. And we've gone over this multiple times throughout this, this, this letter. And here it is again. By this, it is evident. You could say it is clear. It is obvious who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. Love will mark the life of the believer. I was listening to a podcast the other day, and um, one of the things that um, the host of the podcast said is, you know, I, I notice as I read through the New Testament, Jesus' life was marked with a lot of amazing, perfect qualities, and he was a God of justice, and, and he spoke the truth, sometimes in brutal ways. But he said something that is undeniable is that Jesus' life was marked by compassion. Jesus was full of compassion. If you are not a compassionate person, you need to ask God to do a work in your heart. We should be a people marked with compassion and love for one another and for our enemies. That's the hard one. Sometimes it's really hard with the other church people too. You're like, yeah, I'm, you're killing me. I'm gonna kill you. <laughs> but our life should be marked by compassion. And guys, I will tell you, some of the things that we're seeing unfold, we see evil men completely without compassion. No compassion, because they are sons of the devil, children of disobedience, rebellion against God, slaves to sin. They work for Satan, and they don't even know it. But you are children of God. Believe it. Walk in it. Live like it. If you have sin in your life that is a habit Today is the day to say enough is enough. Not tomorrow, not next week, not after whatever the, the excuse is for you right now. Today is the day to say I cannot keep sinning. If I love Jesus, this thing that I've made a habit in my life has to stop now. It has to. If I say that I love my wife and I continually treat her poorly and I do not spend time with her and I... I sleep with other women, and I go to other women for fulfillment and satisfaction, you would question my love for my wife, would you not? You absolutely would, and you would be absolutely 100% justified in doing so. And so if you say that you love Jesus, and there are a bunch of things in your life that the scripture tells us hurt the heart of God, why are you living in such a way? If you are a child of God, honor your father. Honor your father in the way that you live your life, as the scripture said, in your conduct. And yet, when we fall short, we have an advocate with the father. You have been forgiven and can be forgiven if you repent of whatever it is. We're gonna close this evening 
with a song called Lord, I Need You. It's a simple song of surrender. And I pray that if there is sin in your life tonight, and maybe, please hear this, maybe your sin is doubt. And you keep on questioning if God truly loves you. And you keep on questioning if you're secure in your salvation. Repent of that doubt tonight and embrace the freedom that there is in knowing that you have been called a child of God, that you've been adopted into the family of God. Just as any good earthly father would not cast out his son or daughter for making a mistake, nor will your heavenly father. He doesn't push you away when you fall short of the standards that have been set in place. He continues to love you despite your sin, despite your shortcomings and your failures. As the band comes out, I just want to read this one beautiful song that we've sung many times as a church. Hallelujah, what a Savior, man of sorrows. Man of sorrows, what a name for the Son of God who came. Ruined sinners to reclaim. Hallelujah, what a Savior. Bearing shame and scoffing rude, in my place condemned he stood. Sealed my pardon with his blood. Hallelujah, what a Savior. Guilty, helpless, vile me. Blameless Lamb of God was he. Sacrificed to set us free. Hallelujah, what a Savior. He was lifted up to die. It is finished was his cry. And now in heaven exalted high. Hallelujah, what a Savior. When we sing hallelujah, we are saying, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Bert, praise the Lord. Sometimes I haven't even said hi to Bert yet, and he just says, praise the Lord. I'm like, yeah, yeah, praise the Lord. I agree. Praise the Lord that we've been rescued from our sin. We live in a very anxious time. And some, many of you in this room have probably been crippled by anxiety and depression and fear at some point in your life. And, you know, I'm going to be teaching on Sunday the 29th, and I think we're going to go to Matthew 6 and just look at worry and fear and doubt and anxiety and how we can tackle those things as a church from a biblical worldview. And what does the Bible have to say about those things? And I pray that tonight, if you have found yourself crippled by depression or mental illness or, or you're struggling with your identity in Christ and you feel anxious all the time and you're constantly struck by worry and crippled by fear, that you would surrender those things and lay those things at the feet of Jesus tonight. Because you are a child of God. And we are seeing and have seen men 11 of them to be you know, specific in Scripture that, that were willing to pay the ultimate sacrifice because they had seen the Savior. They had seen the Savior. I think of young Stephen, who many biblical scholars believe that Saul, who became Paul and would write our New Testament letters, oversaw his stoning and gave the go-ahead for him to be murdered in the street for his faith. Stephen a picture of the Messiah to come says, Lord, forgive them. As he's being stoned to death, Stephen counted the cost. Have you counted the cost tonight? Have you said, I've counted the cost. I know what it might mean for me in this life to be someone who carries the name of Jesus Christ because we have brothers and sisters across the globe tonight who have really counted the cost. When I was in Thailand, this is my last thing I'll share with you, we, we took Bibles to one of the churches there. And I remember at the border check as we were crossing into that area, we had this huge duffel bag of Bibles in the back of this van. And I'm sitting on top of them with Pastor Brian. And we're in the back of this van and I'm like, wow, this is a weird feeling. And even then, I had American citizenship, and the worst that would have happened is they probably would have just taken the Bibles and you know, told us to leave. But there are people in our world right now 
People like who we were trying to get those Bibles to that are willing to die just to have one of these. And I have like eight of them next to my bed. You know, like different translations and different versions and red letter Jesus words, you know, and commentary in the study Bible. And there are people that the whole church shares one of these. And, and if people are willing to give up their lives just to get their hands on the word of God, they've counted the cost. They know they need Jesus more than anything else. And so I pray that we would count the cost, that, that we would be a people that tonight would say, Lord, I need you. Oh, I need you. Every, every hour of the song says, every second. That just doesn't rhyme as nice, I guess, for the song. <laughs> but every second, we need him. And, and some of us have seen it. Some of us are going to experience it right now. You're going to be doing real good, and you're going to leave here, and you're going to be like, within 30 seconds, you're going to be back in the flesh. You're going to be snapping at your spouse. You're going to be annoyed with your child, annoyed with the drivers on the road, and, and, and Christ will humble you right away. <laughs> He's done it to me many times. I led worship all morning, and then I leave, and the things of the world begin to creep back in. So let's surrender now and let's purpose, as Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself, let's purpose in our hearts as, a, as children of God that, that we want to be holy. And though we will fall short, Jesus can be our strength. So let's pray. Lord, thank you for this evening. Thank you for time in your word, God. Thank you that we get to be a people that can gather here tonight and know you more and be challenged. And I know that as I studied this this week, it was very challenging for me to just read a, 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 an honest and true word, your word, calling us to be holy. You've called us higher. And so, Lord, we surrender to you tonight as we confess our need for you. There's a, there's a beauty in the church corporately confessing our need for you. And so as we do that now, through the lifting of our voices, through the lifting of our hands, uh, through getting on our knees, whatever it may be, I pray that we would be a people that confess our need, our undeniable need for you and for a Savior. So go before us in the remainder of our time, Lord. Go before us as we go through the rest of our week. We pray again for those who are suffering for the sake of the gospel tonight. And even for those who are not, Lord, just who, people who are being uh, murdered for, for no reason, Lord. We know that you hate those things. You hate the, the shedding of innocent blood. And so we are trying to intercede, Lord. We are interceding for those who are suffering tonight. And may we as a church be surrendered tonight as we confess our need for you. In Jesus' name, amen.